swirly up here. Wow. Did you guys know there's something very special happening here? Like God has brought these leaders here because there's something very amazing happening. And the thing is, they see it in you guys. These, these leaders love you. They're not for building church, they're for building people, right? Because that's what Jesus did. Um, I was actually, I was born in a town called Sulphur Springs. It's in Northeast Texas. Y'all probably never heard of it. If you've heard of it, you probably just drove through there to go to Arkansas or something. But I had a very different journey. My wife, she grew up in church. She, from the time she was born, like she was saving herself for me. That makes sense. She was like, God's telling her something very special for you. He's just on a different journey than you are. But I grew up in a town and, and growing up, I did not go to church. Baseball was God to me. I, I grew up in like a, it's like 14,000 people. And, and it was so much like my family ingrained in baseball that there's a memorial of my grandfather in front of the baseball stadium. My, grand, my dad was a scout for the Yankees and my brother was a very successful player. So I grew up like I didn't really have a choice on what I was doing, right? Baseball tournaments every weekend. Um, but when I went to, away to college, I played college baseball. I ended up realizing I didn't want to do that. But my identity was wrapped around in that. So when that was over with, my life spiraled. How many of you know when you find your identity in something and not someone, you're going to get in trouble, <laughs> Right? So that's when I started, um, I moved back home. I got, ended up getting kicked out of college. I moved back home and I started doing drugs. And I actually started dealing drugs with a drug dealer in his house. Like at this time, I'm probably 21 or 22. And I had, I had said the prayer when I was like in 10th grade. Y'all know that, right? You go to a church, say the prayer. I said the prayer. I don't know what the pastor was saying. It usually was terrifying to me. But thank you, Jesus, God anointed his words, and he didn't have to have anointed words. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't even know what he was saying, but I just start bawling like a baby, and, and eventually I held my hand up. I was like, I'll receive Jesus. Take me in the back room. Like, all right, you got to come to church next Sunday. You have to get baptized. And I'm like, all right. So this guy comes to meet with me after that, and I'm starting, I'm like, all right, well, we're Christians. We're authentic. I can be real with this guy. I start to tell him everything going on in my life, and I think I scared, I scared him to death because he stopped coming to see me after that. So I had, met, I had, I had, had a, kind of an encounter with God at a church before, but I, then I had ran away. I, they didn't know what to do with me. I was a wreck. And um, years later, I find myself dealing drugs. I'm 22, 21, 19. In this, in this drug dealer's house. And we're actually, it's a small town, so if we're supplying a lot of people. And I woke up one day, and I heard a voice tell me, you need to get out of here. And I'm like, I need to get out of here. And I, at, the, at the moment, I didn't know that that was God speaking to me. But I figured out that later. So I ended up moving out of his house. And when I moved out of his house, a few weeks later, the cops raided his house, or within a week or two, and he got 10 years in prison. Right? 10 years in prison. And so I, I end up moving to another friend's house and I'm still doing drugs. At this, at this point, my life has spiraled. I'm actually doing heroin. I'm doing a lot of prescription pain medication. I was told this is a raw church and it's okay for me to be real. This is authentic Christianity, right? We're gonna be real Christians, so I'm not gonna hold back, all right? Um, 
So I'm doing heroin and I'm spiraling and I'm getting to the point where I'm suicidal. Like I call my mom, I get to a, a dropping point and I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I'm gonna kill myself. I can't do this anymore. And then she, kel- she tells me, well, just come home. Just drive home. At this, at this time, I lived about 45 minutes away. So I start driving home and all the way home, I'm on a bridge and I hear this voice and tell me, run it off the bridge, run the car off the bridge, run the car off the bridge. And um, I get home and I detox off drugs for a few months. Like I'd been doing it for so long, I really didn't even recover, it took me a long time. And then I was like, what am I gonna do now? Well, you're supposed to go to a college, right? When you're trying to find out what you're doing, well, I guess I'm gonna go to college. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna go to college. And I move in with a family member and a part of me living with them is I had to go to church with them on Sunday morning. And I'm like, all right, I got this. I know what they're trying to do, all right, I got this. And I ended up going to church with them and it was a charismatic church like this one. And there's flags everywhere and everyone's doing all this stuff and I'm like, these people's cheese has slid off their cracker. (laughs) Like, these people are crazy. And and I start, to feel, I start to feel the Holy Spirit, and I'm like, I feel that, but I don't want to look stupid either. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I like that. And they're playing all this Christ for the Nations music in their house when I'm, when I'm there, so I know what they're doing. And the pastor's looking at me, and he's like, is that boy going to worship? You know, he's just sitting there, he's like, he just knows what's going on. So the third time I went there, you know what? I'm feeling so free. I'm so thankful to be off drugs. I started worshiping. I raised my arms up, and I start worshiping. And as soon as I did... Boom, I went straight to the ground. And when I went straight to the ground, I had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And the only things I remember him saying is, Shane, I love you so much, I'm so proud of you. And then he talked to me for a little while, and to be honest with you, I felt like I'd taken a drugs times a million. I was like kicking the ground and laughing uncontrollably, my ribs were hurting. I was laughing so hard. And he's talking to me. The creator of the universe is talking to me. And I'm so excited that I'm kicking the ground and I'm excited. I don't, so much so, I wish I would have known that doesn't happen every time I go to church. I would have tried to remember what he said. I'm like, I, I, later on, I'm like, I didn't tell anyone that because I thought like that just happens. I see people on TV, they fall down, they're just having an encounter with Jesus. But I didn't realize there ain't no high like the most high. Come on, I found what I was looking for. And I got up from that experience and uh, I was like, I'm a new person. Like I'm waking up in the middle of the night, like I'm jumping up on the bed. How many of you know by that point I'm an atheist? I don't even believe in God anymore. But when you're an atheist and you don't believe in God and then you meet a God who's absolutely in love with you, like I've never, it's like an indescribable feeling. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I'd be jumping on my bed. I'm like, oh my God. Thank you, Jesus. I would go brush my teeth just to be like, I can brush my teeth. This is amazing. Like, I was encountering something very real. And in that same time, I started to have these crazy things happen to me. Like, I would remember I would be, I would be having a dream. Like, 3 a.m., I would wake up one night, and my door would be, like, in my bedroom going like this. But I'm like, I don't, I don't feel any fear. Like, I can feel the Holy Spirit with me. And I had no, no biblical training. I didn't know what I was doing, but I did hear a voice tell me, tell it to stop in Jesus' name. And I said, stop in Jesus' name. And when I did, it would stop. I would go take a bath. The light switch would start flickering. 
on and off. And I would hear that voice again, tell it to stop in Jesus' name. And I said, stop in Jesus' name. And then it would stop when it was left on. That was a good thing. So then I would have had to tell him, turn the light back on and then stop. (laughs) Right? The last time I woke up, I had a... I had a, a nightmare, and I'm going outside to smoke a cigarette. I still smoke cigarettes during that time. And I go, I go to go back into my house, and when I do, I'm bolted, locked in from the inside. Like, it's not like I locked the door on myself. I got bolted, locked in. My key wouldn't even work in that little hole. And I end up waking my family up, and they all woke up, and they're like, we probably need to pray through the house. I'm like, we can do that? They're like, yeah, I was like, why didn't we do that like three months ago then? <laughs> but during that time, not one time was I ever scared and I never felt shame because I'd encountered real love. Even when I would do something stupid, like new believer, obviously in a process, still am in a process. You can ask my wife, she'll tell you I'm still in a process. But I didn't ever feel any shame or any guilt or any condemnation. Like I felt yucky because that wasn't my nature anymore. I had taken on a new nature. But I felt none of that. Why? Because when you start to have encounters with God, you actually start to experience what the word says. There is no guilt. There is no condemnation. There is no shame. Are you guys okay tonight? All right. Um, I remember during that time, the pastor of the church was like, hey, you're supposed to go to a school of ministry. Like, do you, are you feeling that? And at that time, I've already been thinking about going Christ for the nations. I wouldn't even be able to stay up at night. There's a school in Dallas, it was called Christ for the nations. And I wouldn't be able to stop thinking. And he said, you're supposed to go to that school. And I start working at Chili's around the same time. And I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm serving people food. And the manager pulls me aside one day and he was like, I don't know who you are. Like, you're different than everyone here. Like, would you, do you wanna be a manager here? You could run this place. And I'm like, I'm just running around the restaurant, happiest man on the wor- world, filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm thinking to myself, well, I can either go to Bible school like I felt like I was supposed to do, or I can go ahead and start my life now, and I can go into management training. So I'm thinking to myself, my life was so crazy, I could do something totally stupid, And at that point, like, I can't be a pastor and doing stupid stuff, right? So I'm like, well, I'm just going to go the route, and I'm going to become a manager at Chili. So I start doing management training. And when I do, you have to do it on Sundays. Being a new believer, got back out of church, I'm doing all the management training on Sundays. And believe it or not, after I'd encountered Jesus, I started doing different kinds of drugs probably about six months later. I didn't know anyone there. You can only go home and get on. Y'all remember MySpace? Like, that's when MySpace was around, okay? You can only go home and get on MySpace so many times. So I started hanging out with the guys at work, and they introduced me to this drug called cocaine. Never done it before, never had a desire, but after I'd met Jesus, I ran away from him. Crazy, right? People in here are like, what? I can feel that. Yeah, it happened. It happened. And... I ended up getting kicked out of my aunt and uncle's house over a period of time, they picked up on it. I went home one night and tried to open the garage and they had changed the code. So I went and stayed with the guy that I was doing the drugs with. And probably a week, about a week after I got kicked out, um, there was actually a woman that came in the restaurant. 
I was newly kicked out of the house, and this woman comes in, and when she comes in, she's looking like right through me. Like she's just like, she walks in the door, and I'm like, I could feel her come in. I'm like, whoa. But she was looking right through me, and I was an arrogant 22-year-old boy, and I'm like, she's checking me out. Right? I've got my manager outfit on. I'm like, she's checking me out. I, can, I know it. Right? Like, she wants the manager. Bring the manager to the table. And she actually did say that. The, the guy's waiting on her. She goes, will you bring, will you tell the, the manager to come over here? Well, I go over there, and I squat down at the table, and when I squat down, I put my hand on the table. She puts her hand on my hand, and my legs just start shaking, like they did when I was in church before. Like when I first started going, I'm like, oh, She's like, God wants me to tell you that he knows you're in a bad living situation and that he loves you so much and he's gonna get you out of it. I fall down in the middle of the floor in the middle of the restaurant. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the manager. I fall down in the restaurant in the middle of the aisle. I'm the manager and I start crying. Go in the bathroom, I'm crying and I'm like, wow, like, I'm like running away from him and he's sending people to tell me like he's after me still. And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, you know, like I'm good. Like, just let me do what I want. Like, I'm good for now. And I felt so much shame to go back to my aunt and uncle's house that I I went back to the guy's house that I was doing drugs at. And I'm like, I won't do drugs anymore. Like, I just can't go back to their house because the amount of shame that I felt that they brought me into their house and the things I was doing, I, I just couldn't do it. So I go back to the house, continue doing drugs for a while, end up getting caught, going to jail for a little while, not prison. I have no record, no record. It's, that's only God that that happened. And um, end up getting fired from that job eventually. I'm gonna move this around because this could take two hours to tell this testimony. I still say things sometimes and Wendy's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I forgot I did that too. And uh, she's like, what the heck? I'm like, yeah, sorry. I just now remembered that. Um, <laughs> seriously, it's pretty bad. And I end up getting fired from that job, and I'm working at another place. I'm working at a Mexican food restaurant in Greenville, Texas. And this is probably three years later. And at this point, I had been saying, God, leave me alone. I want nothing to do with you. How many of you know after you encounter Jesus and do drugs, you don't enjoy them anymore? Like, no matter how bad you want to, you just can't. You met Jesus, Mr. Love, and he loves you, and you cannot get away from him. I would be like, just leave me alone. Like, I just want to enjoy my drugs, right? And he wouldn't leave me alone. I was working at a restaurant. I've got a pocket full of drugs. I'd actually switch back to the drugs that I was doing before that. I didn't do cocaine anymore. I'd switch back, back to, like, heroin and uh, prescription medications, and I had a pocket full of them. I called them my happy pills when I would go to work because they would temporarily make me happy, and then I'd get in a real bad mood. But I was on my way to work, and I was either thinking or praying. I think K-Love came on. Y'all know K-Love, the radio station. (laughs) And I was either thinking or praying. I don't even know what I was doing, but I was thinking, God, if you're still real and you're still with me right now, I'm miserable. I'll stop all of this that I'm doing if you just show me that you're still with me. Like, I'll do anything. I'm just done with life again. If you're real, still with me, prove it to me. Within a few weeks or so, I'm at work, and I'm the waiter at this, at this time, and I hand this couple 
their bill at the end of their meal. And the man looks up at me and he says, I know this sounds like a strange question, but God wants me to ask you about your name. And I said, well, my name's Shane. He started laughing. He goes, my name's Shane too. He says, did you know that that means God's gracious gift? And at that point, the legs started shaking again. I'm like, I haven't felt that in a while. I haven't felt that in a while. My legs start shaking. And he said, you have an interest in the supernatural, don't you? And at this point, I had seen Finger of God. Have y'all ever seen that? It's great. It was it's great. But I was still doing drugs, and there was something in me when I saw that that brought back that old feeling that I had when I was in church. And I would just quiver, shaking about it. And I said, yes, sir, I do have an interest in the supernatural. He said, you had a call of God to go to a school of ministry before and you ran away. And I said, yes, sir, I sure did. Well, he's, God sent us here to tell you that that's still available for you to go. And that you're gonna experience all this supernatural stuff in your life and just started giving me all these crazy words about traveling the world and preaching the gospel. And even his wife said, I feel like you're gonna meet your wife in Redding, California. Talking about swinging for the fences. When I went to the school in Maui, I was like, she missed that one. <laughs> she didn't miss that one. And they're, and they're giving me that in, that in that moment. I have a pocket full of drugs and they're telling, God's telling me to go to a school of ministry. That'll mess with you. Not, you need to go deal with your drug issues. So go to a school of ministry. Because he knew that he had my heart in that moment. He knew that I would never be the same from that time on, and I wasn't. They prayed over me in the middle of the restaurant. The way home, I threw, I threw them out the window. I quit my job, and I detoxed off drugs for a while again. I've, I've done that. I did that twice. If you've ever done drugs, that's hard. If you know what I'm talking about, to just stop cold turkey, that's hard. But this time I had something like, wow, there's hope at the end of this. This is hell, but there's hope at the end of this. And I have a God that doesn't call out my sin. He's like, I love him. He has a, I have a plan for his life. He treated me as if I never left. Come on. Went to school of ministry about nine months later and my life was never the same after that. That was like in 2009. We read this story um, about the prodigal, and I used to read that over and over, and it was, it's so good. It's a, it's a great, it's, it's almost like that was my story, right? Like I had run away, I had, this, I had life, and I was running away. But then I started diving into it deeper, and it's actually a more radical story than what we read. How many of you know the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us? Those were actually live events that were happening that was actually happening to them in that moment, right? And there's a completely different culture and historical context. If you guys have your Bibles, will you open up with me? I don't usually like to read the whole parable, but in case there's someone here who's never read it, I just wanna put a different, I wanna bring it into a different context so we can really capture what it's saying here. It's Luke 15. Just to throw some background, then all the tax collectors, starting in verse one, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. 
And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this and neighbors together saying, whoa, I just totally went to the wrong page. This man receives sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke these parables. So Jesus, as a metaphorical theologian, answers their questions in parables. He's like, all right, you asked me this question, I eat with sinners. He goes through, he tells the parable of the woman, the, the, bad she, or the, the parable of the shepherd, and then the coin. But I wanna read the one that he's, he's, he's building one on top of the other. He's telling this parable about the, the good shepherd and then the coin, but he's like, I'm gonna really hit the nail on the head. I've used animals, I've used objects, I'm gonna use people, I want them to really get this, right? All right, starting in verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? Perish with the hunger. How, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put on the ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his older brother was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked, what, is, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time and you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who was devoured your livelihood with harlots and you killed the fattest calf for him, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and it was found. See, so he's answering their question by telling them a metaphor, right? But what we don't really know from this culture is when a son doesn't ask a father for his inheritance over there like that. That's like saying, I wish you were dead. It's no different than saying you were dead. So at that point, he could have completely shunned him altogether. And when he says he, he spent his livelihood on living, the family inheritance is life for them. That's not just an inheritance. Their inheritance is their life. It's not like land belonged to them. They belong to the land. And we can still see that today because they're still fighting over the holy land over there right now. 
You could give them land somewhere else and they wouldn't even take it. No, our identity is wrapped up in this land. So just painting a picture, he's asking his dad, father to be dead, basically. Like, I wish you were dead because I wanna go do what I wanna do. It's a little bit more radical, right? In the, in the prodigal, we, we have this story like the prodigal came to his senses, like he finally came to himself. But it just said he was hungry. That's why he's coming back. You don't see any remorse in there at all, right? Are y'all following me? Are y'all okay? He came to himself. It's the same thing that the judge said whenever he granted the widow her request. But really the widow was just giving him a headache, right? Peter in Acts 12, 11, it uses the same phrase. He was not being repentant. There's this phrase too, that I've sinned against heaven and before you. Like that sounds like a confession. But Pharaoh said the same thing to Moses whenever the plague of locusts came. How many of you know Pharaoh was not repenting in that moment, right? He's one, he's, he even has a plan. He's like, I'm gonna get this plan together. He's not showing remorse, like I'm gonna become one of his slaves. At that point, there's slaves, there's hired servants, and there's sons and daughters. He's not saying like, I'm gonna show remorse and I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna be a slave. He's like, I'm gonna be one of the hired servants. That word actually means a craftsman. He says, they have more than enough food to eat and enough to spare. He's saying they can pay all of their bills, they can eat and they still have some left over to save. He's got a game plan. It's not like he's like, I feel really bad and I'm going to do this. He's coming to work his father, right? And maybe even earn his way back into the house. Are y'all all right? And we picture this, I, just in, I used to always picture this, well, the father sees him from a great far off. Like I used to picture like Little House on the Prairie. I know the millennials don't know what I'm talking about, but there's this show, Little House on the Prairie, okay? Like, we're this house on a hill and you can see anything coming from a great distance. And I always picture it, well, the father was in his mansion up there and saw the son. He's like, the son came to his senses and, and now he's going to meet the son. I've always pictured that in my mind. But if you read in the Talmud and the Mishnah, even the wealthy people and the farmers and everyone, they all lived in villages, about six acres big. If you think people in a small town know your stuff in those villages, it was like crazy. Like all their houses were like shacked up together, their businesses, everybody knew everything. If you've grown up in a small town, everybody knows everything about you. So it's not like the father saw him from a great distance and be like, I'm gonna go get my son. No, he would have had to have been looking for him because he was in a village, which means he would have been in a street waiting because he knew in that moment, if you reject a family like that, and especially squander your inheritance away to Gentiles, you are shunned big time, maybe even stoned. Y'all catching it? It's not like he's coming out to save him like, I love you. No, like he sees him from a great far off. By this time, everyone's already known what's happened. The, the, the son has squandered away the inheritance, right? And then sold it to Gentiles of all people. Jews don't mess with Gentiles. So the father sees him from a great far off. He sees him at that moment, anytime someone would squander away an inheritance or did something like that with Gentiles, like they would have this ceremony. I don't even wanna to try to pronounce the thing, but basically they put uh, 
corn in a jar. And as someone is walking in, they throw the jar down and everyone starts screaming, you're shunned, you're shunned, get out of here, you don't belong here. It's like when you're shunned from the family, you're shunned from the whole village. So this son is walking back in, is desperate. And he's walking back in to the gauntlet. Y'all feel me? That word actually runs, actually says outruns, which means the father was actually trying to get to him before someone else was or before something happened. And men in that culture don't run. You You can even watch now like, or just even study their, how things go on now, their history doesn't, they don't progress even like we do. Like the men over there don't run. It's one of the most shameful things that you can do. And a man of that, of that status would have been wearing a robe. And one of the most humiliating things that you can do in that culture is raise up. I know we don't get that here, but one of the most humiliating things you could do is raise your robe up and run. I've only found one person in the whole New Testament that did that of a person of promise, Zacchaeus, and it said he ran ahead of the parade so no one could see him. And then he hid in a fig tree just in case someone did see him, right? They don't run there. The Talmud even, even records that like if, if even a priest is sacrificing, there's blood all over the ground, you can't even raise your robe to avoid the blood. Like it's like that. It says that, If a bird runs under your robe, wait till nighttime because you cannot show your legs. You wait and get that bird out at nighttime. (laughs) Like, we don't get that here, right? We're like, that would be like a farmer, like, hasn't wore pants or shorts in a while, and then, like, they got the white legs and they run. That's a joke. (laughs) But the closest thing we could picture that is picture the president in a suit running for a taxi. Out of the question. It's considered the most humiliating thing that you can do. One of the most humiliating things that you could do in that time. So when the father does that, what he's doing is he's completely humiliating himself to get to the son. So I'll do whatever it takes to get to the son. Before they get to him and and do that ceremony, I'm gonna get to him first. And I'll humiliate myself to do it. He came as a suffering servant to reveal the heart of the father. He's painting a picture of the cross there. He's telling a metaphor and describing it. Whew. When he gets to him, he said, quickly, go get the robe, the best robe, which would have been the father's robe, the signet ring and sandals. He gets to him, he says, quickly, why? Because my son's gonna be honored walking back into that village. Bring it quickly. I don't want, he's, the father knew he was gonna show up in rags. He didn't even have sandals on his feet. The father knew he's looking for his son. He knew his son, knew his son wasn't gonna make it back in victory, right? Runs the gauntlet for his son, completely humiliates himself. Get the best robe. Ephesians 2, 5, Paul echoes this. Even while we were dead in our trespasses, Jesus, God made us alive in Christ. He was lost and now he was found. It doesn't say he was lost and then he came home. He was found at the end of the village. He was lost and he was found and he was restored as if he had never done anything wrong at the edge of that village. This is my son, I don't care what he's done. This is my beloved son, go put the best robe on him. 
Genuine reconciliation can only be achieved by the Father's self-emptying love. Because he had a game plan. But if he would have got in with that game plan, the Father would have just had two older brothers in the house. But no, he did not want that. He's like, I gotta get my boy and bring him in, right? Did you notice the whole spill that the prodigal had once the father lavished his love on him before the confession, before he did any of that, it's like all that whole plan went out the window, right? He didn't say anything that he had planned to say. He's like, he just realized that the father just hurt himself for me, completely humiliated himself in the whole village. What other, what other choice do I have? Pocket full of drugs, didn't even call it out. It's way beyond, we sing this song, Reckless Love. Let me tell you, reckless doesn't even come close. There's no word for it. It doesn't even come close. He saw how much he's loved. And Jesus is actually redefining what repentance is in this moment. He's telling him a metaphor of what's happening right now. You say I'm eating with sinners? Yeah. But the thing is, I'll pay any price to eat with them. I'll pay any price to have come eat with me at the table. No price I won't pay. And that's what brought the reconciliation. Only the Father's self-emptying love. Are y'all all right? I believe he's telling a metaphor here. The Father must come down out of his house, out of heaven, in self-emptying humiliation to show his love for humanity. And only then can we be reconciled, right? We love because he first loved us. The kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's so much more radical when we read that story, even in that context. Costly love offered before the confession, Romans 5, 8, yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He defines repentance as accepting of being found. It's a big deal, right? And we always tell that story and we're like, it's all about celebrating the son who finally came home and came to his senses. But if you'll read the other parables, when they would have the celebration for the shepherd, they were celebrating the shepherd who found his sheep. They were celebrating the woman who found her coin. In the same like manner here, they're holding a party to celebrate the greatness of God and his love, his costly love that will do anything to get his children, anything. He will pay any price and to get to the big brother. So how many of you know he's telling a metaphor to them and answering their question about eating with sinners? And at that moment, there's a sinner at the table eating when the big brother comes home. So he's answering their question. The big brother comes along. How many of you know that's the Pharisees that he's talking to? They're complaining, you're in there eating with a sinner and he's done all this stuff wrong, right? So he's addressing them in that moment. So in the story, the Pharisees know he's talking about us. We're the one complaining about him eating with sinners. I just find it interesting how subtle and gentle he was with them even in that moment. Like religious people get a bad rap, right? They get a bad rap, but he's even being gentle with them. He's saying, all that I have is already yours. Like, this is worth the celebration. And it's not like he's ending the parable there. It's not like he's like, that's the end of the parable, the end. He's leaving the ball in their court. 
He's saying, what are you guys gonna do now that you know that? He's inviting them in. He's showing them as much love. The son humiliated him in private. The big brother humiliated him in public. He could have been stoned, right? That's like a stonable fence under the law. He's humiliating the father in front of everyone. At that moment, the whole parade, everything going on would have stopped with something like that going on with the father. And then that moment, he's gentle with him. He's leaving the ball in your court. Hey, I love you guys too. Everything that I have is already yours. The Pharisees, what are you gonna do with this information now? Wow. Because in 40 years, all of you guys are gonna die, including your families, if y'all don't turn over now because the destruction of Jerusalem that he prophesied about was gonna happen. So he's playing with them. I love you guys too, come. Religious people get bad rap but God loves people. He loves people. That's what they call it, the foolishness of the cross. Like, because to them, in a pagan way of thinking, like, they're thinking the foolishness of the cross because all they know in that, in that culture is gods that are great. Our God, this God is the greatest of all. Like, it's all about their reputation, Right? But Jesus made himself, it says he emptied himself and made himself of no reputation. Why? So he, we, could see, we could see his love for us. So that's why they call it the foolishness of the cross. It's because it doesn't make sense to them that God would come to earth and to be sped on. God, this is God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. 2 Corinthians 5. He come down here and died that way. They said, that's foolishness. It doesn't make sense to us that a God would pay that kind of price. It's foolish, we don't get it. It says it's foolishness to those who are perishing. I do not have much time left. I don't wanna go into that. In Colossians 1, it talks about and this is a common way of thinking, that God has always been enemies with us before we receive him. But in Colossians 1, it says we were enemies in our mind, not that he was our enemy, right? We were enemies in our mind, which is why it says in Hebrews 10, 22, that he had to come sprinkle our conscience with the blood of Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, here I am. Wow. It says Moses saw Jesus face, uh, saw God face to face, but it says no one has seen God. Y'all notice that? In Corinthians, it talks about there's a veil. Even to, the, even to this day, there's a veil over their eyes when reading the Old Testament. It said even Moses had a veil, but Moses sat face to face with God. But even he had a veil. Come on. Because it says, only in Christ is God revealed. It says he met face to face, but no one's ever seen him. Why? Because it says we behold him in a mirror and we become in his image in the same scripture. I'm not gonna go there because that'll take a long time. But as we behold him, we become like him. Because only in Christ is God revealed. I didn't really have an agenda to, where to go with this. I just told Wendy, I'm like, I'm just gonna talk about the raw love of God and see what happens. <laughs> and if you don't know that you're loved that much, like, please feast on that. Please feast on that. If you do know you're loved that much, 
like they've been going through, return to your first love. I've, I've already been there and done that with the whole, well, the kingdom of God is advancing and we gotta go and do this, but he keeps bringing back, me back to the song we were singing, the simple gospel. We are advancing a kingdom, but we have a God that is madly in love with us that would pay any price for our heart. He'll send people in restaurants to come after you when you're a drug dealer until you go to a school of ministry. He doesn't make sense to us, right? Wendy, you wanna come up? I, I feel like, is there any way that we could get the worship team back up here for a minute? Or is that we have enough time for that? I just want someone to be bold. If there's anyone in here that doesn't know God and that you just met Jesus and his love for you, do you mind standing up? No worries. That's good. Then you just get really refreshed, right? I know I've seen so many times um, Shane minister, and, and if you just want to encounter God's love in a greater way, I just want you to stand and have Shane pray over all of us. Yeah, if you're on the ministry train, if you want to come up here, that would be awesome. <clears throat> Let's just get in receive mode. And I felt a couple specific things that the Lord wanted to do tonight. First of all, um, if there's anyone in here that uh, suffers with vertigo or anything like that, is there anybody? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Amory. Anybody else? Or just like, I had the weirdest thing happen today. I felt like the Lord said it was a word of knowledge. So just kind of um, something with your neck and head and it just feels fuzzy. Just go ahead and raise your hand to heaven. And then the second thing I felt was, I felt that there's some people that had, had lost, lost something or someone or something financially or a relationship. And, and what had come in was there's this, it had been disappointment. And I felt like there were people that that had then turned into anxiety. And if, if you wanna receive just the love of God that's gonna encounter that and take that and replace that anxiety with his peace, I just want you to raise your hand. Hi. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anybody here named Trisha? Patricia. Patricia? Yeah, right there. Okay. I don't have a word for you yet, but I will in a minute. How many do we have? We have two? Two of them? Wow. Okay, if your name is Trisha, will you just hold your hand up? Thank you, God. 
Trisha, I just want to declare over you today is a new day. I just see God even washing away even discouragements of past seasons. Whoa. You're about to enter a season of encountering God like you've never had before. Wow. Thank you, Lord. God, we just thank you right now for releasing all past disappointments, even in family. God, we just thank you for restoration, even in family and the ones that she's been praying for. I just see that you've been praying. I don't know if it's for your kids or for someone, but God is just saying like he sees what you've been doing. He sees that you've been praying. Yeah, you're making a difference. Wow, thank you, Jesus. If you raise your hand to just be free from anxiety, just lift them real high right now. Father, we thank you right now, Father, that you're coming with your absolute reckless love and you are obliterating anxiety in people's minds. Father, we just declare right now, Father, and we take authority over anxiety, Father, we release your peace, your perfect peace, God, that calms every storm, and we just release that, even now, in Jesus' name, Father, in those things that were lost, even if you lost, I feel like maybe a couple people lost someone they love or someone they knew, and that place of disappointment led into anxiety, and, and the Father is just coming with a wave of his love, to not only restore everything that felt broken inside of you from that, but, but to replace in such a peace that you will be able to release on others. And so Father, right now, we just thank you for that peace, that peace that passes understanding. In Jesus' name. Is there someone here who lost their dad or their dad ran away when they were like two years old? Anyone else? Yeah, I'll come back to you. Yeah. The Father just wants to show you that He's your dad. Wow, that He's your Father. God, we just thank you that if even if it was just Him, that you had Him in your sight, even going to the cross. Father, we just thank you for your love and your spirit to be poured out on them. If there's anything even lagging from not growing up with a father, we just declare right now that you're his dad and that you are such a good dad. And he has not just that regular love, but it's that ooey gooey love that you have for him. Thank you, Jesus. He's, he looks at you and he says, this is my beloved son and I'm already pleased. invite you to come even now and fill those voids and places, wow, that could even be there. We just say, come, Holy Spirit, come. Wow. In Jesus' name. All right, Shane, why don't you just blast us all with an embarkation. Okay. And if there's anyone here that grew up without a dad or doesn't know a father that way, well, everyone just raise their hands. 
because I feel like he's just gonna blow in. This isn't just a one-time thing. This is a life thing. So God, we just thank you right now for just releasing your father heart. God, we just ask for encounters and visitations with your love, with your goodness. God, that it won't be just a, a subtle encounter, but we ask for your ooey gooey love to be poured out in this place. Wow. Father, we just thank you for an impartation of your heart being released. Yeah, thank you, God, for we're returning back to our first love. That it's not about works or earning anything. We're returning back to our first love. Wow. we thank you and we bless you in Jesus name Amen If the Lord's really working in your heart and you just want continued prayer um, we have a ministry team up here just come on up to the front or if you just want prayer for anything at all just make your way to the front now just along the lines of what Shane has shared, you just want fresh encounters with his love, come on up. Or if you just want prayer for anything, come on up. And there's people ready to pray for you. And can we just thank Shane and Wendy tonight? So good. So, so good. Well, hey, we went a little over, uh, but if you have children in Children's Church, we're gonna ask you to make your way over there to pick up your kids. Uh, but again, if, if you don't have to do that and you want to come get prayer, come on up and get prayer. Besides that, bless you guys. We'll, three, we'll see you in the